Good morning. This is the Lawyer Kings podcast. We are a couple of lawyers who are here to share some legal knowledge, hopefully a couple of laughs, and get you involved in the legal community. I am Rachel King. I'm a lawyer at King Law Firm Attorneys at Law Incorporated located in Wildemar, California. I practice a variety of things. I do family law, wills, trusts, probate, and kind of whatever uh, suits my fancy at any given day. So I really enjoy the law and uh, got my hands in a lot of different things at any one time. So I'm happy to be here today. I'm super excited about our guest and I would like to introduce my co-host, my father, the one and only Pat King. Hi, thanks, Rachel. Yeah, I'm the old guy in the room. I've uh, been practicing for about 30 years, and so uh, I would never be able to do this podcast. I, I don't uh, understand today's technology, but uh, Rachel keeps trying to pull me into the current century. So I'm a uh, I have a general civil litigation law firm, and um, I've had a, a lot of good experiences. I worked uh, as a prosecutor. I worked as a, uh, when I first started, I worked as a defense attorney before that. I, um, I worked as a senior deputy attorney general for, uh, in Nevada um, and headed up this, the uh, criminal litigation division. Um, I have uh, recently, uh, worked as a um, prosecutor for the state bar going after bad lawyers. And um, after doing that for three years, I decided that was enough uh, <laughs> time without making any money. So I, I opened bring you, my, make you cynical within the legal field, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I got rid of about 35 bad guys. There's more to go, but uh, I hope my successors are taking care of it. Uh, I really enjoy the lawyers uh, that I do work with in, in our area. And um, I'm just very, and I've always been a supporter of law enforcement. I know it's a very difficult uh, job. I've, I've certainly uh, been around long enough to have worked with uh, uh, fellows in the law enforcement community that were not good and, uh, and saw them uh, removed. But at the same time, um, I think, Every, every time I see a law enforcement officer, I wish I could just shake their hand and say thank you. Well, remember when I was uh, visiting you just this last time, you bought a law enforcement officer lunch. I thought that was so nice. And, uh, I, you know, before we go farther, though, Dad, I think we should maybe introduce our guest because at this point, yeah, nobody knows. So <laughs> we're talking Thanks. all about law enforcement and we don't nobody knows who's here. So today I'm super excited to have Riverside County Sheriff Chad Bianco here with us. He is an elected official. So I get a lot of people that say, well, we have tons of sheriffs. Actually, we had Riverside County DA uh, Mike Hestron on a couple weeks ago, and I had quite a few people call me up and say, but we have tons of DAs. And so I just want to clarify for everybody that the, the district attorney and the sheriff you all vote for. So you know, I know we all pay attention to president of the United States, 
but it may be useful to actually check and look at all of the other boxes you're circling because sheriff is on it and judges are on it and district attorneys are on it. So today we have uh, an elected official, super excited. Chad Bianco is a 27-year veteran of the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. He serves as the highest law enforcement officer in the county. Uh, That is the sheriff, coroner, and public administrator as he was elected in November 6th or on November 6th, 2018, I believe. Right, Chad? Is that Yes, All right. Uh, he joined the Riverside County Sheriff's Department in 1993 as a corrections officer and spent time working patrol and narcotics in the city of Lake Elsinore, as well as Harupa Valley Station, Moreno Valley Police Department, and the Larry D. Smith Correctional Facility and the Hemet Station. So those are, uh, for everybody that doesn't know Riverside County, those would not be the same as Temecula, right? If we're going to talk Riverside County, and maybe he has a different position, but those are like the Compton areas of Riverside County <laughs> to LA County. So, uh, Well, I don't know if I would go that far. Okay, well, we'll hear more about that. Um, during uh, Mr. Bianco's career, he's held administrative assignments in internal affairs and corrections administration and planning. As sheriff, he oversees the county's five jail facilities, six court buildings, and a civil bureau, the coroner, and public administrator's office. 17 contract cities, over 4,000 dedicated employees, and an operating budget of nearly $800 million, which I'm sure he would like more of state of California. So thank you so much, Mr. Bianco, Sheriff Bianco, for joining us today. Uh, We're super happy to have you. And why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about you? Wow. Well, first, thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, about me, I, I live in Riverside. Basic about me is I'm just a, I'm a husband and a dad and I go to work during the week. So um, I'm married. I have four kids. Uh, they're all adult kids now from 31 to 25, uh, two grandkids, a couple of horses, a couple of dogs. And during the week I go to work and act as your sheriff. So um, I'm pretty basic. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a normal guy. And I, I just do everything that I can to uh, try and make the sheriff's department better, try and make public safety in Riverside County better than anywhere else. And, uh, you know, some of those things that you mentioned, you know, about, you know, other places and uh, we're, we're not that bad. Uh, Riverside County, Riverside County is pretty good. Temecula, I'm sure if you, the people that live in Temecula think Temecula is the Beverly Hills of Riverside County and that's okay. I think mine is, and I live in Woodcrest, so uh, that's completely different. And uh, but it's but it's perfect for me. Uh, I love it here. I've been here since 1989. Uh, I'm a transplant from Utah, and uh, you already mentioned I've been working for the sheriff's department since 1993. Absolutely love just this job. I think I uh, there's there's absolutely nothing else that I would rather do or want to do, and uh, I I just think that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a religious person, so I believe that how I got here was not by accident. I don't believe it was by anything that I did other than, uh, I don't know, keep myself in. Uh, like your dad said, I, I wasn't one of the bad ones. So I kept myself from being one of those bad ones. And and with those, along those lines, and and, and you, I, you did the exact same thing, is you worked to get rid of the bad ones. And unfortunately, there's a lot of lawyer jokes, but there's a lot of cop jokes too. And uh, we, 
I, I like to tell everyone we hire from the human race. So all we get is what is everybody else that's out there too. And, and unfortunately, sometimes there's, we do get bad people that come in that, that tarnish our, our badge or our profession. Uh, and, and we do the worst thing for a good cop is a bad cop. So we do everything that we can to, uh, weed those out when we find them. And, uh, that I think that's part of, and then being transparent about it. I think that's part of, uh, at least one of the areas that, that I want to make, um, more, I, I guess I, I don't, I don't know. You, you're not, you don't really like using the word transparency because it's kind of like a cliche term, but I want people to know that we do that. I want people to know that we're getting rid of the bad cops and that we do hold ourselves to a higher standard and we don't want to be labeled by our least common denominator. And so by being very vocal and out front about the things that we're doing in the, within the department, uh, by eliminating the, the so-called bad apples, uh, we're, we're trying to make everything a little bit better. So, Well, you know, Sheriff, um, I, that's one of the reasons we were excited to have you on the podcast is just to give another opportunity uh, for uh, people to hear that great expression uh, of your commitment. So just so, by way of um, helping the audience understand um, approximately how many uh, deputies uh, or sheriffs uh, work for you? Well, our, our deputies, what we consider just deputies, the, the entire employees of our department were just shy of 4,000. Uh, we have I believe we're probably around 25, 2,600 uh, deputies. Uh, the rest are civilian employees, the uh, classified employees, the people that work behind the scene, dispatchers uh, that, that make our, you know, we couldn't do the job without them, but they're not the ones that you actually see in the uniform. Yeah, and thank you. That's a lot, 2,000 deputies. And, and then- It is a lot. You, um, uh, maybe to help people understand a little bit, the, the sheriff- is responsible for the entire county. You're responsible for the entire county. But within the county, uh, my understanding is there's city uh, cities, and within those cities, they have their own law enforcement. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it, it goes both ways. There are some incorporated cities that have their own police department, the city of Riverside, the city of Corona, uh, the city of Indio Palm Springs. There are a few more. Uh, but 17 of them, 17 of the cities in Riverside County contract with us for their police services. So uh, it's the sheriff's department that patrols, for instance, Temecula is our, is our, one of our biggest ones. Moreno Valley is the biggest uh, contract city that we have. It's just a little bit smaller than the city of Riverside. Temecula is catching up though. And uh, those are both cities that contract with the county through the sheriff's department for police services. So sometimes they will refer to themselves as, you know, the city will say our police department, something like that. But, and, and we, we allow that. It's not that we, that we frown upon it, but we're still the sheriff's department and we are serving them in that capacity. Sure. In those uh, cities that have their own uh, police departments, um, do you have a good relationship with those? Um, how does that work where you, you know, you have, is there, is there a good reciprocity? Do you communicate with each other? Do you support each other? The jurisdictional yeah. question. It makes yes. all yes. of the daytime TV shows. Yeah, yes, okay. it does. So the answer, short answer is yes, but it's a, it's not an easy answer. In in the past, we have not had a good relationship with our, uh, with our police department. So uh, 
you mentioned earlier that you know the sheriff is is considered the highest you know law enforcement officer in the county and unfortunately if you have a person that takes that a little bit too seriously you feel like you're better than everybody else and historically that has happened to where our chief of our chiefs of police in our in our cities in our Menif- in our Murrietas, our Menifees, our Coronas, our Riversides, they felt uh, and they were they were made to feel less important and that the sheriff was all overriding and uh, we ne- we did not have a good working relationship. Uh, I really did my absolute best to fix that. I think we have. Uh, I meet regularly with all of the chiefs in the county. We have biweekly phone conversations, uh, conference calls, and then we meet every other month in in person. So we discuss everything that has to do with you know with the with the common issues between us, the the common practices on how we work together, and we really really do have a great relationship. And one of the things that I impressed upon them was that I, I consider myself equals with them. They're, they're, they lead their department. I lead mine. Uh, I may be a lot bigger. I may be, I, I may have jurisdiction in the entire county, but I still look at them as equals. And uh, we are here only to make the, the residents safer and make them feel safer. And one of the things that I really tried to impress is that criminals don't care about city boundaries. They don't care whether they're in a county area or a, an unincorporated area or an incorporated city. And I think in the past, that's really hindered law enforcement efforts. And it's made residents feel like they, they were not getting service, they were not getting help. And we've fixed that. We have made it to where uh, we have blurred those boundary lines. And if if a city police officer has to cross into a county area to, to follow up on a case or to uh, chase a suspect, if you will, uh, that that happens all the time. And we will we will help residents in in incorporated cities and they will help unincorporated area city uh, residents. So I think overall people have noticed a big difference in the not only the amount of service, but the the quickness of the service, if you will. And it's because we're not we don't have that bickering anymore with dispatch or with officers wondering whose call that really is and who has jurisdiction. So it's working out very well. And I, I couldn't ask for a better relationship with our chiefs of police. That's awesome. So let's go to you a little bit. How did you choose to get into law enforcement? You said it was kind of like your, I don't want to say calling, but that you've always felt like you meant, were meant to be in law enforcement, but how did you get started? Uh, well, that's a, I guess as growing up, I, I wanted to be a fish and game officer and I, I think I only wanted that so I could be in the mountains all the time. So I would know where to hunt and fish. And as I, as I, I, I attended college on baseball scholarships. And so that was what I was falling back on, uh, as I, as I neared the end of, of college, I realized that I really didn't want a, a real job. I wanted to play baseball. And so eventually when that didn't work out, I had to find a real job. And what? You didn't become no, the baseball no, star? You fantasized? No. Oh, I know. Shucks. There were so many. I, I had envisioned how I was going to accept my my plaque in the Hall of Fame and everything as a little kid. And it just, it didn't, it didn't come out that way. So I had to find something else. And I, I think I, I looked for many other things, construction. I worked in a, at an uh, auto dealership in the service department and I, I, construction, and I loved all of that. And so, uh, you know, I was, Really, I was—I guess—I was just looking for employment to pay 
bills and support a family. But uh, law enforcement, it fell into my lap uh, it, from a friend. And um, it, it, because I had thought about being in the fishing game before a game warden, I mean, that was, I, that, I guess that was in my head that that still is a possibility and it's kind of the same thing. But once I started the academy, I put myself through San Bernardino Sheriff's Academy. And once I, once I started, it was, uh, I think it was just a natural. I finished top of the class uh, in my academy there. And it was just, it, I, I haven't looked back. I, I enjoy every aspect of, of this job. And, and when I'm here, I give it my all. Uh, I, my wife likes to tell people that I'm, I'm not the typical cop, that I don't bring work home. And I don't talk about work at home. I, uh, the, my daughter, the, the only exception, I have three boys. My daughter is my youngest. And uh, my boys couldn't have cared less what I was doing at work. And my daughter was obsessed with what I was doing at work. And so I always had to talk about it with her. And she is a deputy now. Oh, so congratulations. I guess, That's great. Yes, I, 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 and I didn't force her into it. It, it really was something that she... I guess, I, I don't know. It was, she was infatuated by it and uh, she knew that she was always going to do this. She, she tried to be a firefighter along the way and she succeeded in that, but she actually said she was bored. And so she, uh, she stopped being the firefighter and came back into law enforcement and now she's a, a deputy sheriff. Does she work in Riverside County? She does. She's currently in uh, the jail. She's getting ready to go out to patrol next month. Oh, congratulations. So you went into law enforcement. Why was the transition then that made you decide to run for sheriff? Because that's a that's a totally different position, right? That is. that, And you made that point uh, before in that there is only one sheriff. And we get that all the time. You know, my wife will laugh when she'll say, oh, my husband's the sheriff. And they'll say, oh, no, I know a sheriff. And I know several sheriffs. And you really don't, you know, deputies and there really is only one sheriff and, and that is an elected, elected position. So me deciding to do that, I, you know, I was, I was a Lieutenant in the department and I had reached a point in my career where, uh, current, the, the current situation in our department at the time was, uh, it was definitely a good old boys type thing that you had to fit in. You had to really be a a yes man. The the current administration did not like anyone speaking out to try and make things different or better or question anything they were doing. And I believe, and I've always believed that that that's not the way to be a success. You you can't live in a tunnel or you can't live in a in a vacuum and hope to be successful. So you have to take outside opinions. You have to surround yourself with people that don't think necessarily like you do. So you get that other opinion. You get that other point of view. And so as I, as I progressed in my career, uh, I realized that I was at a point that I could not, I, I wasn't able to influence uh, really anything in the department anymore because I was stuck with what our current direction was. And I really didn't think that we were doing what we should for, for our residents. I, I felt that like everything, you know, if we look back over, I've got a 30 year career and we'll, I'll, we'll even, I mean, you can relate to that and we can talk about law. Um, 30 years ago, the, the practice of law was not the same as it is today. And law enforcement is probably a lot more changed than it was back then. And, uh, but I felt that in our department, we were still operating the same. 
Uh, we were not engaging in technology. We were not acknowledging the fact that that cell phones were making everything instantaneous and that people demanded more from law enforcement and they wanted more answers and we weren't providing it. And I realized that the only way that that was ever going to happen was if we had a change at the top. The only way to make that happen is through an election. And so I, uh, I, I decided to run and uh, eventually it worked out fine. It worked out great actually. And here I am, and um, I, I couldn't be more happy. I, I believe, I, I'm told that our department is uh, in a good place, that they all feel that they're in a good place. Morale is at an all-time high. And we really are doing everything that we can to change how we've, not everything, but a lot of things how we've done in the past. We're, we're looking at making them better and changing them so we can uh really forge a different relationship and a better relationship with the people that we're serving. And they're seeing it. I'm told all the time that they see a difference in, in the attitude of our deputies and, and just the way we do business. And so it, it's, I, I think I, th that goes back to the part where I, I don't necessarily, I obviously had to run uh, to get into this position, but there were many, many things that had to take place uh, in order for that to happen, many doors had to be opened and not closed. And uh, I do believe I'm here for a reason. And I, I, I try and make sure every day that I honor that and, and try not to mess up. Well, I love all of the deputies in court. So um, thank you, because I think they're super fun. And I enjoy having to see them and talk to them on a, well, I haven't seen them in like a year and a half because we haven't been in there. And I actually don't mind not having to go into court. But when I do, I enjoy that. So you said you like this and you know my dad sent me this question or this this thing that maybe he'll talk about in a minute but before we get there I think this is a good caveat you are I think it's probably undisputed that Riverside County is one of the most conservative if not the most conservative counties in California so as a county we are surrounded by the rest of California how is it to be a sheriff in Riverside County when you're in the state of California? Uh, that's a good question. And I think that, I think that that question where you, when we're talking about conservative, we're talking about, um, unfortunately everything we do. And, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean political, just like in general, the, the outlooks, right? There's different oh, no. general outlooks. So you can kind of take that question however you're comfortable. Yes, no, I, it's a, it's a very broad, it's, it, and unfortunately there, it certainly is conservative. You look at conservative versus liberal and things like that. But in today's day and age, there is, everything is political. There is nothing. You can't walk out the door. If you're wearing the wrong color shirt, it's because you support the wrong president or you support, you know, the wrong candidate. And everything is about politics and everything is about everyone's wrong. You can't have your own opinion anymore. And we, uh, I meet with all of the sheriffs six times in person per year. And uh, we have a very good relationship where we meet on conference calls and, and, and discuss things regularly in, in certain committees. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting that while you may live in a, in a liberal or a conservative county, when you're talking about law enforcement, everyone thinks the same. Everyone wants public safety. They want to. They want to feel safe in their communities, their kids in school, their parks, uh, you know, their their places of business. So 
we're not really, the counties aren't really all that unique when we're just talking about public safety. Uh, the, the issue, I guess, I guess gets when, uh, when something does turn political. Uh, this last year, obviously, every decision anyone ever makes is, is political with COVID and uh, with the civil unrest issues and everything else. That was all, that is 100% split down party lines. And so, unfortunately, when I make a decision based on what I believe is the right is right for public safety, that that decision is labeled as a political decision. And in Riverside County, it, that works out fine. In the rest of the state, some of the sheriffs made the same decision I did, but they have more of a liberal leaning county that feels like the sheriff should have just done what the governor wanted everybody to do and um, that they were somehow violating something by not. And go back to, the, to that election that you talked about, um, we only answer to the people. Uh, the sheriffs, do, I, I don't answer to anyone. I don't answer to the governor. I don't answer to uh, the board of supervisors. I answer to just the people in it. And they have an opportunity to get me out every election and replace me with someone that they feel would, would better suit them uh, should that happen. But it's, it, I guess I, I have to admit that I have had conversations with other sheriffs where they have said, I wish I was in your, your County, uh, because the, because we are more conservative and we are more public safety aligned. Um, it does make it easier for, it does make my job more easier, definitely less stress. And I do know that some other sheriffs don't necessarily get that get that support from the community that yeah. you get well i um yeah, i mentioned earlier when we started that i'm the old guy in the room but i back in things have changed so radically uh, but i've always been interested in law enforcement as a matter of fact i wanted to be a police officer and i um i got an aa degree i think they call it associate's degree in criminal justice at santa monica college and I remember uh, that in those days, now this is date, dated, but we were taught that you could shoot a fleeing felon. <laughs> and and that, that was the standard that we were taught. And, uh, and then I remember hearing these commercials that came out. I don't know if it was AAA or who sponsored them, but it said, don't help a good boy go bad, lock your car. And even though I was a teenager at the time I heard those commercials, I just felt that's offensive. That's wrong. You don't need to lock your car. Good boys don't steal cars. And, 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 uh, but, but that became it. So now all of a sudden, if, if you didn't lock your car and it was stolen, it was your fault. You know, it, the, it's funny you say that. And, it, and it's, and for the listeners, we have not ha ever had a conversation before this, but yeah. I was talking with, uh, with someone the other day, uh, exactly about that. And, it was, we, we were talking about how we've been programmed over the years for this, that in, in my line of work, it's, it's no longer, it's no longer the criminal's fault. It's somebody else's fault for everything. It was like back to this commercial, you, it's your fault that your, your things got stolen or your car got stolen because you left it unlocked. Yeah. And it's, it's your fault that, uh, you know, I have, this is, this is going to be a long story, but it's something that, that that really, really influenced me as far as the frame of mind of people that we're dealing with. And we had arrested uh, some juveniles in Moreno Valley 
and the mother was there and she was unbelievably, they were brothers, two brothers. She was unbelievably irate that we were, that we had her kids and we were harassing them and um, she was making it a race issue. And so I, as the, the Lieutenant there, I, I, I was the delegated person to go talk to her and try and calm her down and explain what we were doing by arresting her kids that were caught burglarizing a house and they had loaded up a car full of stolen items and were driving away and we stopped them. And one of the items was a 60 inch television set. And I mentioned to her that we caught them with all of this stolen items, including a 60 inch television set. And the mother said, well, they probably had more than one anyway. They didn't need to. And I thought yeah. right then, it's like, man, so now it's the victim's fault for having two TVs and it's okay that they went in and stole their TV, broke yeah. into their house because they had more than one and they didn't deserve more than one or something. And we're, we're, we're here now. I mean, if you, we, when, when, when women are victimized, battered spouses, it's the, it's the, it's always the spouse's fault. It's the battered victim's fault. It's the, you know, the, the person, the, a, a female, a young girl gets raped and it's her fault for dressing a wrong way and, or, or talking nice to the, to a person or something. And I, I think that we've really gotten away from, there are just bad people out there that are going to do bad things and there's nothing we can do about it other than, I yeah. mean, we have, we have jobs because of it. It's job security for us, but it all goes to the, to the, in the realm of public safety of us trying to keep people safe. Yes, I, I agree with you. And when, when we watched it evolve over time, and I know I'm not alone in this thinking because I, I talk to neighbors and friends and coworkers and the like, but in the civil, when you go through law school, and you're talking about civil law versus criminal law. Uh, all of a sudden intent becomes a big factor in criminal law if the person didn't intend to do it. And I've often thought, isn't that interesting? I don't care what they were thinking or intended. I care about what they did. And if they did something to hurt someone, I or if, if somebody hurt my child and they thought they were doing God's work, I, I, I that's not okay with me. Yeah. If they're quietly minding their own business, thinking evil thoughts, I won't know about it. So it's always troubled me. But one of the things that in my youth, it was it was called Grand Theft Auto. You, if you stole an automobile, somebody's car, that was a very serious crime and you went away. And now we hear about these carjackings and I guess it's just left and right. Maybe it you doesn't know, the, happen in Riverside. It, but It changed from Grand Theft Auto to joyriding. I mean, they, you change the names, you change the terminology, and you you lessen the you lessen the impact, you lessen what really did occur, and then you know we get to where we are now. So my takeaway, though, my takeaway, Dad, is this is why you don't do criminal defense. <laughs> and Chad, from you, I think I need to get into criminal defense because it sounds like I might make a whole lot more money and have even better yeah. job security. Well. Rachel, I will tell you that in Riverside County, if you want to be a defense attorney, I will keep you busy. <laughs> All right. We'll talk after this about that. <laughs> you say guilty. So um, one of the uh, things that Rachel mentioned is, is I just read an article and just before you came on, I, I sent it to her and a, a brief portion of it. And it was a new program that I understand is being launched in San Francisco. And it states that they are going to pay likely criminals 
not to shoot people. It says in the article, $300 a month. So I guess somehow they're going to know who it is that's likely to shoot somebody and then pay them not to do so. And, and, I, and I read these things and it's like, this is insanity in, in my opinion. What, what are these people thinking? And the way to stop crime is to punish it, in my opinion, and to, and to lock up the bad guys. I, I want them punished and locked up. And then if there's a way to rehabilitate someone or like if they're on drugs and there's a, a diversion program, great. But uh, And I just want my retroactive payment for never having shot anybody because I never have. Um, but Chad, do you, we didn't ask you about this, but do you think that a program like that, again, totally on the spot, do you think a program like that would be effective? Or do you think a program like that with your experience in law enforcement is going to not be as effective as they're hoping? It, it's one of the most silliest things I've ever heard in my life. And I... I cannot imagine how someone actually forms a thought process to say, well, if we just give criminals money, they won't be criminals. It, it's a, it's a mindset for them. It's a, it's a different moral code than what we have. And for the most part, their crimes involve money. It's about greed. It's about how they're going to get money for nothing. It's about, you know, whether it's selling drugs or stealing property and, and laundering that, that money or those, that property for, for income. And, to give them a, you know, a $300 check and believe that they're now actually, they're somehow going to be content with that, that little payment that they're not, that they're going to go away from their, their moral code and what they believe is their, uh, their right to do, or their, uh, you know, just how they believe that they live. And to, for a, for a good person to actually believe that is it's naive it's very very dangerous and there is absolutely no way that ever works no i i uh i agree and i know rachel agrees you know i live uh, in a beautiful area i lived in las vegas when i first started practicing in in uh, nevada and las vegas is a is a very interesting place it was growing very fast but um whenever i travel and i'm say i'm from nevada they immediately think Las Vegas, because I guess it's so well known. But I'm in the northern part of Nevada. So I'm up my office and where I'm sitting right now is in Carson City, Nevada, which is which is the state capital. And then right next door is Douglas County. And Douglas County has beautiful Lake Tahoe. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to visit here, Sheriff, but it, I, I have. We love Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. And the funny thing is, is that we've never been up there. My wife and I went up there uh, two years ago. Is it one, two? Yes, two years ago uh, for a, a an archery shoot. It was uh, at one of the ski resorts. They had an archery shoot and we went there and we were we were actually we felt pretty embarrassed for each other that we've lived here for so long and we've never been to Lake Tahoe. And so we went back again this year and absolutely loved it again. And we will continue to go back. Good. It's beautiful. I'd love to to have uh, lunch or host you for something. It's a it's a beautiful place. Now, Douglas County is a large county and it's it's uh, it's splits. Um, uh, Lake Tahoe is partly in California and partly in in Douglas County. We also have um, uh, Carson County, which is where the city of uh, of Carson is. And then we have um, Washoe County, which is the largest county in the north. That's um, that's where Reno, Nevada is. 
And uh, Reno's improved greatly over the years. Uh, it, it's changed dramatically. Our, our university up here, the University of Nevada, Reno, um, has a medical school and, um, and it, it's a beautiful campus. It, and then we have Lyon County. And so I did a little uh, checking and, and noticed that all three of the sheriffs um, for, for Washoe County, which is the largest county, uh, there's a Darren Ballum is our sheriff. And he's, uh, he's relatively new, I guess, in, in the scheme of life. 2019 is when he became sheriff. But his, his background is lifetime law enforcement. Uh, if you read his credentials, you know, he, he served on SWAT and all these special task forces and the like. And then um, and then the same with um, uh, same with the other uh, sheriffs, Daniel Coverly and uh, also Ken Furlong has been a, a sheriff in Carson uh, for his entire life. And so I was wondering in do you have you have you've said you have meetings with other sheriffs. Do you have, is there like a national association of sheriffs or do, have you ever met these gentlemen or talked to them? I haven't met those. So I, we have, uh, there are several, there are several associations. There are major county sheriffs uh, that's, that are across the country that they have certain requirements of size. You have to represent uh, populations of 500,000 people and have more than, I, I think more than 500 employees. Uh Size-wise, I'm Los Angeles County in California is the only one bigger, and in the country, there's only we're the fourth largest in the country. So we are a major, major uh, law enforcement organization in the U.S. Uh, with so I attend major county sheriffs. There's also a national sheriffs association that I have not attended yet, and then there is also the Western States Sheriffs Association, which. Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, California, Oregon, the, the, basically the Western states, including uh, all of those sheriffs that you've said. Now, I have I've seen their names before on rosters and things like that, but I don't think that I have met them. Uh, it, really, it's just a matter of time. Uh, COVID kind of messed a lot of things up with conferences and being able to uh, to meet uh, my counterparts in, in other parts of the state or in other parts of the country in different states, especially adjoining states. So eventually I will meet them. Yeah. Some of the things that, uh, for instance, Ken Furlong's done, and also in Douglas County, I see it, is uh, they've used senior volunteers and tried to incorporate uh, um, more, um, I, they're not called interns. I'm not sure the word, the proper word for having people come in and work with the sheriffs to provide assistance. But do you have any kind of uh, uh, volunteer or senior program for patrolling areas? We do. We have a, um, we're, we're doing everything we can to make it bigger. Over the years, uh, at one point years ago, we had a very robust volunteer division, volunteer services division, where people would volunteer a certain amount of time per month uh, for free where they would come in and help us. Sure. And over the years it dwindled away. And uh, I, I think that it's it's part of that where law enforcement, we're our own worst enemy, where where we believe that you know we're, we're the cops and we're the only ones that can do it. And if you're not a cop, you're not good enough to do what we do. And you know, that, that type of mentality. Sure. And it hurt us, it hurt us in our volunteer services. So we've done everything we can to expand those. Um, we have a, I wish it was, I wish it was twice, thrice, 
four times as large as what it is right now. And eventually maybe we'll get there, but we have every one of our stations has volunteer, uh, a volunteer program. Uh, we have a very, very robust volunteer program in our Hemet station with our mountain rescue unit. Uh, our, the, the sheriff is responsible for all, all search and rescue in the County. And we don't have deputies that do that. All of our search and rescues, uh, uh, personnel are volunteers. We oversee them, but it is, it's all on a volunteer basis. So anytime you hear of us rescuing people in the mountains or, uh, searching for someone lost in the desert or things like that, those are volunteer services, uh, acting under the, under the umbrella of the sheriff's department. And we couldn't do it without them. Uh, we have a volunteer posse where uh, equestrian people yeah. um, volunteer their time and their services uh, to basically give a presence, to give more of like an eyes and an ears and a presence of the sheriff's department being there. But they're not they're not sworn peace officers. They're uh, they're volunteers. And it's uh, our, our seniors. We love our seniors coming to our station. They help us with bookkeeping. They help us with uh, with filing, with computer work and things like that. And it's so we do have one. We do have that services, that volunteer services uh, division in our department. And anyone that's listening that wants to volunteer, you you just need to contact your local station because we we want you and we need more people. That is so great. Uh, we do have a posse. Uh, I thought that was fun. I didn't realize how large the posse was, made up primarily of volunteers. And then uh, I think they call it Hasty. I don't know what that stands for, an acronym for the search and rescue, but they. Um, uh, we have quite an extensive search and rescue because of the mountains up here in northern Nevada and the rivers. And, and um, they're routinely finding people that were lost and, and saving them. Um, but I, I want to tell you that I, I speak to so many people that are so proud of law enforcement and they want to crush crime. I, I've heard that term more than a few times. They, they wish that law enforcement was supported um, 100% and are furious with the shutdown. But I can tell you with, the, with this concept of defunding police and, mm-hmm. and eliminating police departments and sheriff's departments is, but I can tell that myself and those other people, we're afraid to speak out almost. It's like, uh, you know, you can be shut out of social media nowadays, these big tech companies that can, can uh, ostracize you or terminate your accounts. Um, and, and you can have retribution. Uh, people have talked to me about the fact that they were audited by the Internal Revenue Service and they're convinced it's because they supported a certain uh, cause that, that the powers that be didn't agree with. And so um, I know you know, because of the position you're in, that you've got a tremendous number of people that need you and support you. Um, so I, I, I'll just to say thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> You're welcome. And we know we have a lot of support. And we are going to uh, do some legal stuff because this is a legal podcast. So um, real quick, what the sheriffs and the DA work very closely because the DA prosecutes what the police and the sheriff's department arrest. So how do you, does the sheriff's department work with the DA? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, we're, we're obviously the two major players in the criminal justice system. 
you obviously have criminal defense attorneys that are private, and then you have a public defender, uh, which is quite a bit smaller than the district attorney's office, but it's still a necessary part of of county government. So with uh, with DA Hestron, our DA Mike Hestron, uh, and myself are are considered the two leaders of law enforcement for the county of public safety. And obviously, I'm the one that is out in charge of making all of the arrests and people keeping people safe. And it's his job to make sure that uh, that they suffer the consequences that match the crime and that they are uh, that they're put away for as long as possible. Uh, or as short as possible, depending on depending on each each situation. So the prosecution efforts are all handled by him. Uh, it, it's the it's the initial arrest and the initial intake that that's handled by me. We obviously have to work very very close together. Uh, we have uh, task forces that we that we work together. Uh, the one of them, you know, and, and he's in charge of some and I'm in charge of some. So it, it's kind of like a give and take of you. I'll give you some of my personnel for your task force and you give me a couple of yours. And it, it makes it better that we're splitting the cost of those types of things. It's still all coming out of a public safety budget, but it we're splitting it between our, our organizations. And then it also it, it helps with the uh, with the relationships that we have back and forth between the two agencies. Uh, our attorneys, we work very, very close with our district attorneys to make sure that our deputies are doing what they should be doing. Uh, so when those cases get to court, those attorneys have what they need. Uh, they're, they're not shorted things that they need that, that are going to cause problems in cases. Uh, we, we have to be all up and uh, above board in everything that we do and working with the DAs all the time. Uh, it, it makes sure that we're, we're all doing that. Um, Mike and I are very, very similar uh, type people. We're, we are very, we are very good friends, and um, I, I, I look at him uh, like I do myself. I, I think that Mike is is above and uh, above everything else. He's a husband and a dad, and he comes to work and then does that stuff. And so I, I respect him for that. I, I think he has priorities in order. And- well, you're both, I told him this too, and I think this is really important because, you know, you see other DAs in other counties, you see sheriffs in other counties, and they don't always take the position of you should prosecute crimes or you should make the arrest. And personally, I try not to take um, positions, but uh, well, at least publicly. But if you are the district attorney, your job is to prosecute. That is the job position that you have uh, applied for and been elected for. And the same would be true of a sheriff. And if that's truly not what you want to do, then I don't believe that you should be in that position. You should you should find another line of work. And I think it's really amazing. I mean, I live here, but uh, I imagine you know my dad has the same position, even not living here, that you guys are both so fortunate to have a district attorney's office that really supports you and is on the same side as you and that the district attorney's office is really, really fortunate to have a sheriff's department and law enforcement that really support them and are in line with what they do so that you're not kind of undermining each other or fighting the other side of the battle. You you really have no idea how how important that is what you just said, because when I talk with other sheriffs in the state and when Mike talks with the other DAs, there's only 58 of us. So there's 58 DAs and there's 58 sheriffs. Uh, and we know all of them. We I know all of the other sheriffs in the state and he knows all of the DAs. And many times I have been told, and so has he, that they that people are that they are envious of us 
because we get along and because we're on the same page. And it is not like that in the majority of the state. Uh, the DA and the, and, the, and the sheriff doesn't get along. And Mike and I have even gone back to our mentors over the years and asked about that relationship. And in Riverside County, it hasn't been like that. So I think right now we're very, very unique that Mike and I are on the same page. We're, we're of the same beliefs. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing everything that we can to promote public safety. And at the same time, we're not, neither one of us are, you know, lock away, you know, throw them in jail, lock them up and throw away the key type of people. Um, I do believe that in some, in some circumstances that, that people can be rehabilitated. I, I believe that everyone should be given a chance. Uh, I believe that there are some things that don't necessarily mean you have to be put in prison forever. And, um, you know, one of those issues is homelessness and, and drug abuse and things like that. Uh, our, our, our legislatures have created all of this problem that we're, that we're, that we have right now. And I believe that if we were forcing these people, you actually, there's, there's a consequence. And when you force someone to go into a drug rehabilitation rather than go to prison, you're forcing them to get the help that they really do need. And, and if they get cleaned up and they realize, Hey, my life was kind of almost at the bottom and, and, and now I'm sober and now I can, I can function and I can, I can regain control of my life. They, they may, they may be good productive members of society from then on out. But when we don't have that anymore, when there is no consequence and uh, you know, that the, the drug use, we, we know, major drug use leads to mental health problems. And here we are. So with Mike and I being on the same page, we're doing everything that we can to combat these horrible laws, to try and get these people help, to try and, uh, we can't force them anymore, but we have to somehow convince them that they need to, that they need to clean up. And, and we need to encourage churches and we need to encourage uh, nonprofits to help us in, 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 in getting these people better and providing them a home or a job or, a, or, or substance abuse help. And that's what we really believe in. We're not about, we're not these hardcore, no heart type of people. And luckily we're, we're, we align pretty much on everything and we're doing everything that we can to make sure that we collectively together provide Riverside County with the best public safety and law enforcement that we could possibly get. Hey, Rachel, you mentioned uh, uh, a story when you were talking to the DA about um, your daughter working at a, a store and um, being instructed not to call. Yeah, law not to call the law enforcement when people steal and then they check out, right? I'm sure you've heard of this, Chad, the, the right? The story... They they actually were checking they were wanting to know the exact ringing stuff up that they were going to steal so that they could be under the threshold what was the threshold rachel it's a thousand dollars with tax right so they would if it was below that um that and then the people literally walked out of the store with those goods and and um i i'm just i'm just shocked to to know that that's actually taking place um I hope that and we and can yet turn we and yet we be, yes and yet we believe that if we give someone three hundred dollars they're going to stop doing all of this it, it just doesn't make sense and it it is we've gotten to a point where where we're all paying for it because every business has that uh, that amount of money that's a that's an operating loss 
And the way they look at it, the way that our politicians have made it not crimes anymore. So there's no, there's, it's actually a, a hindrance or a, it's a, it's a inconvenience for that business to want to file charges on those people because they're going to have to send an employee to court. They're going to have to take time away from work to testify that they were the ones that did it. And you know, that the whole criminal prosecution thing and the, the expense is not worth it to the business. So they are more willing to let that, that property underneath that threshold get walked out on a daily basis. And they'll just make it up on the people that are, that are actually paying for it. And there, I mean, my daughter was told not to do it because not all of those things, uh, but also they're criminals. So who knows what's going to, what's going to happen to the 16 year old that followed the person out and said, you can't take all of the goods. Right. So it's from a liability standpoint. So on a little bit lighter note, there's a TikTok meme that is going, or a TikTok video that's going out with law enforcement all over. I don't know if it's the world, but at least the U S where police officers are being asked what we are supposed to do when the cop or the police officer is following us on the freeway but doesn't have their lights on. Because it's always that very awkward place, right? You slow down because you were speeding, so you slow down to the speed limit, but do you get over to the right-hand lane? Like, what is the cop expecting? Are they watching you? Are they running your license plates? Are they? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to move over because they want to pass us? So what do we do in those situations that we're all driving at speed limits, super <laughs> uncomfortable because we don't know what the intention of the police officer behind us is? I don't think anyone drives at the speed limit. So I don't know. And, and I wish I behind them and then they that's slow right. down. <laughs> and then we, then we create traffic jams and accidents and everything else. And the cop behind you gets mad at you because you slowed down and now he can't get, he or she can't get to where they were supposed to be going. I wish I would have seen this TikTok video. So I would have had some cute, funny story or, or, or answer to give you. Um, but I don't know what to say to that. Get out of the way. No, I'm just kidding. There. <laughs> It's, I, I don't know. We want, we want people to, <laughs> yes, yes. You certainly don't want to be going 80 in the freeway. And when the cop gets behind you, you slam on the brakes and go down to 55. That sounds like good advice. So like um, good advice pull over. over. Yeah. And please don't wave at them with one finger as they go by or, you know, things like that. So they're just trying to get where they want to go. Yes. And, you know, the, with that, on a serious note, we do get complaints all the time that people, you know, will say that the deputies were driving too fast and they didn't have their lights on or, uh, you know, they were, you know, whatever they were, they had their lights on, but they were going nowhere or they got through the intersection and turned their lights off. The reality is not every call is warrants in our policy to be able to drive with lights and sirens on. But at the same time, if you are the one that's waiting for the deputy to get there, I'm sure you don't want him driving the speed limit and obeying all the traffic lights and signs and everything else. So we do, I, I, I will, I'll, I'll speak for myself when I was a deputy in a car and when I was handling calls for service, I probably didn't drive the speed limit very often because I was trying to get to that place as quick as I possibly could. Uh, and then when we have a lot of times when we're, this is another thing where someone will say, we turned our lights on just to get through the intersection. 
I'm not going to say that doesn't happen, but there are a lot of times where we end up tracing it back and we find the deputy, we find the time of day, we find what was happening and something along those in the, in the text of that call and the, the, our response to that call warranted lights and sirens. But once we determine that it didn't, or someone gets there and is able to say, okay, now I'm on scene. You don't have to be coming code three with lights and sirens. We make sure that everybody else shuts down and you slow down and you, you, you don't want to cause an accident by getting there. And sometimes that happens. So it, it appears that we only tried to pass you or that we are only trying to go through the intersection, but for the most part, that's not the case. And we know, I wish I never, ever, here's a little, here's a secret. I can't talk for everybody, but I know a lot of people believe what I believe. So when I pulled someone over for violating some type of a traffic violation, I never gave them a ticket if they told me what they did wrong. If they told me they did nothing wrong, then they got a ticket. If they told me they were not speeding when we were going 90 and a 45, or if they told me they didn't run that stop sign when they went through it at 30 miles an hour, then they always got a ticket. But if someone told me, yes, I didn't stop at that stop sign, or I know I was going too fast, or I didn't signal when I went here, and yes, I know I cut that person off, I never gave them a ticket. I told them I, I would lecture them. I would tell them that your time on the road is not any more important than anybody else's. And I don't want to respond to an accident where you're hurt. Just slow down, stop, make sure, be safe. And then I would send them on their way. So then I screw all of my clients because I always tell them that you should never admit anything to a police officer. In fact, that was one of my questions was as a, an attorney, I tell clients you should always invoke your Fifth Amendment rights not to self-incriminate. You should always ask for an attorney and you should never speak unless your attorney is present. And you should never consent to See, sure, an inspection I'm embarrassed. or a I thought search, I raised her better. especially when you've done I, nothing wrong. I, I would have said, but, always tell the truth <laughs> and, uh, and always be upfront. And, uh, you know, and they will... You're going to protect yourself. You know, that's a very, it's a very interesting dynamic because in, in that sense, both of you are correct. And Rachel, I completely agree with what you're saying. And uh, that is certainly everyone's right. But from a law enforcement perspective and what I tell deputies, so we have along those lines, we have when you do something and, and you're being investigated as a deputy. Now, I, I've been through many investigations where there were allegations that I did something wrong. It's never been founded. Uh, I, I've, I've been disciplined for getting an accident, I, traffic accident. I, I received time off for that. But I never, I never felt, and the attorneys, they always say, oh, don't talk to anybody and don't wait till I get there. And my, opi my opinion was the same as your dad's was, why do I need an attorney to tell the truth? And so I always went in and I just tell the truth. If I did something wrong, then I, I hope I learn from it. I hope it's not fatal that I get fired, but I, I, I have nothing to hide if I'm just telling the truth. So as a law enforcement person, when someone doesn't want to talk to us, it really is because they're hiding something. And so what about the person that admits to smoking pot and then still ends up with a DUI? See, there's this, there's this gray well, area. There is, I guarantee you, there is not one person that got a DUI just because they said they were smoking pot. We already, the one thing about cops and, or me, 
I never, I, and an attorney, you know, this too, you never ask a question unless you already know the answer. <laughs> so by asking, were you smoking pot? And they say no, but yet you're, my eyes are watering and I'm already getting hungry just from the contact high. I know they're not being really honest with me. So if they tell me, yes, they have. And if they tell me they would, you know, it was a couple hours ago, you know, whatever the case may be, we can, we, we can work through that. And I can tell you that just because they say they're smoking pot doesn't mean they're going to get a DUI. It, it's all of the other things that have to go into it. They have to, the, the, they can't function. They have to fail the FSTs and things like that. But I get how you don't want to self-incriminate yourself. Um, but at the same time, you can, you also get yourself out of things by telling the truth too. So it, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I, I like it your is. good it's advice. It's a balancing act. Tell the sure. truth. Admit to what yeah, you did wrong. True. Then, except that sometimes. Well, you heard sometimes, it from the sheriff. It's like when you put your witness on the I stand. I have the sheriff so, and then they, my position. Okay, right, so Well, I don't want the sheriff to tell anybody this. All my clients are going to be like, but you tell me to do this. And the law enforcement was on your show and they said that we should always tell the yeah, truth. I've got a quick question. I know uh, we're supposed to be on a lighter subject, but this is kind of important to a lot of people. I think in Northern Nevada, especially, I don't know about Clark County, that's where Las Vegas is, but in Northern Nevada, um, people enjoy the outdoors. They tend to, to say that they're, you know, pretty uh, self-reliant and uh, guns are popular. And there's a lot of people that, um, they used to open carry a lot, but now that the C CCW permits are being issued by the by the county sheriffs, there's a lot of people that uh, carry concealed firearms, men and women, and um, it doesn't uh, seem to it doesn't concern me. Uh, I don't know if they're carrying or not, but I think to a certain extent it might even make for a politer society. Do you know whether or not um, sheriffs in general are are concerned about CCW permits or are they understanding that it's for self-defense and it, it might make for a, 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 an actual safer society? Do you know if there's an opinion out there amongst law enforcement? This is important to my dad because um, my stepmom just got her CCW, so this hits close to home. <laughs> well, I, I, I've, I, I've always had one, and she has one, yes, so thanks. Good but, for uh, her. So I will, I will tell you that the answer to that is that uh, we assume that when we contact people, when law enforcement contacts anyone, we assume that they're armed anyway. So if you're going to, as soon as I approach you, you're going to tell me that you have a gun and you have a CCW and it's in your console, it's on your hip, it's wherever it is. Now, all of that, that unknown to me is now known. So my answer to that is, okay, please don't reach for your waistband. Please don't show me that gun. Leave your hands on your steering wheel. We're all fine. It, it doesn't matter. Now I know there's one there instead of just guessing that there's one there. And for the majority of law enforcement, uh, we, we regular people with guns don't scare us. Guns don't scare us. It's the people that scare us. Um, I, I'm, I would be willing to bet that I have absolutely nothing to fear from your wife about carrying a gun. It's the, it's the gang members. It's the criminals. It's the, you know, those are the ones that you have to worry about. And with those, with CCWs, there's a, there's a big argument, you know, and it, 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 it's a court argument about the, the concealed weapons permits, uh, 
compared to the open carry. And I'm not a fan of open carry. I think that if a uh, there, there are unfortunately criminals there. And if you walk into a bank and you're open carry and you have a gun on your hip and somebody's in there to rob that bank, guess who's the first one they're going to assault? It's the guy that they see with the, or gal that they see with the gun, because that's going to be a threat to them. So concealed carry is much better. And as far as law enforcement's concerned, my belief is law abiding citizens, or I I'm sorry, criminals People that are doing wrong with that gun that are going to do wrong with it anyway are not going to come to me and ask me permission to do it legally. They're they're criminals. They're going to do it illegally. They'd probably be so denied, the person, right? uh, They'd probably, yes, if they have a history, absolutely. they'd probably be denied. Absolutely. So when the, when, a, when the law-abiding person comes and asks for that concealed weapons permit, you're, you're willingly giving up your fingerprints. You're willingly telling me you have one. You're willingly wanting to abide by the rules, the safety rules, the, the qualification rules. There's, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I, we're, we're not afraid of that. We're not intimidated by that. And it's, it, it's, it's the criminal. It has absolutely nothing to do with the gun. It's the criminal. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, uh, Sheriff Bianco, to come and tell us a little bit about the Sheriff's Department and about you. And is there any, I don't want to take too much of your time, but is there anything that you would like to uh, personally talk about or for the Sheriff's Department that you think is important? I want to give you the next minute or two to, to talk about whatever is important to you. Wow. That's a big one. I wish I would have thought about that more, but I will say, you know, just because I have a, a little platform here and there's people out there and maybe you can share it and you can uh, share this with your friends because this is especially alarming. This is alarming throughout the country. It's especially alarming here in the Temecula Valley. And it's the, um, the abundance and the issues that we're having right now with fentanyl. And fentanyl is a is a synthetic drug that is a hundred times more potent than morphine. And the black market is making is is obtaining this fentanyl, and they're making it into what you believe is a pill. Uh, you believe it's a Valium. You believe it's a Vicodin. You believe it's a OxyContin, or you believe it's uh, some other prescription uh, narcotic that you that you're taking, or or uh, psychedelic medication or drug or something like that. And really, it's made of fentanyl. And a a a normal dose of fentanyl. Uh, is going to be like a unbelievably dose, a, a large dose of heroin or, or, you know, a double dose of it is deadly and you will not recover. And sometimes just that normal dose is going to make someone pass. Um, in 2019, we had eight high school kids from one school here in the Valley overdose on fentanyl. Uh, last year, I think we had seven in, in the same area, but this is, this is now a countywide problem. It's a state problem. Uh, you have to educate your kids about the dangers of taking drugs. Uh, you can't take them responsibly. You can't go to these parties where these kids are taking these pills and they have the, uh, you know, they're, they've got the Narcan there to revive them because the Narcan doesn't work sometimes. And it's, uh, it, it's something that I don't know how we're going to get a hold of because the amount that's coming across the border from Mexico is just staggering and it's, it, it's killing us. It's, you know, the kids are using, um, we haven't, we haven't found it yet in marijuana or, or at least we haven't, maybe they have, but, um, 
methamphetamines, the heroines, the cocaines. They're mixing it with all of those drugs to get a different type of a high to bring those customers back and it's killing people. So uh, if you're a recreational drug user, the, the chance of you getting fentanyl is unbelievably high and the chance that you're going to die from it is just as high. So I think it just, uh, if that would be my message, it would be for parents and, and even kids to know the dangers of it and, and steer clear. Boy, that's a great message to give. And uh, it's scary. It, it is frightening. And you don't know, you can't tell what it looks like, right? If, if you're a, it could be in a pill form or it could be in uh, disguise to look like anything else, I guess. Yes, it could even be in liquid. It comes in a, it's a, it's in its form is a white powder and it could be dissolved. It could be uh, mixed in with heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, any type of drug. And what's, what's the most alarming is they're forming it into pills and using dye and, and cast molds to make it look exactly like some other type of medication that you could be getting from a doctor. Uh, one of the big things that we, we have is, um, you know, an Oxycontin pill. They're, they're, they're very regulated now, but at one point, doctors were giving those out all the time. Um, nar- um, uh, Vicodins. Vicodins are given out all the time. And they're making these pills that all it is is sugars and binder with fentanyl in it. It's not the real drug. Mm. And you think you're taking that real drug and you're not. And well, and you know, one thing that how I can say it is happening is say a Vicodin, you take a Vicodin, you can feel the effects of a Vicodin. You take two Vicodins, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be out of it. You're going to be loopy. You're going to be out of it. You take two fentanyl pills, you're going to be dead. I mean, you're, you're thinking you're taking something that you're really not. So one of the things that we're saying is these people aren't even overdosing. The, the term overdose, overdosing has, has a stigma to it. Like you intended, you're a drug user, you intended to do that and you should have known the consequences. Well, the reality is, is taking two Vicodin isn't going to kill you. Taking something else that you didn't know you were taking, you're being poisoned. Sure. And that's how they have to look at it. And the dangers of it, are, it, it, it really is unreal. We're, and it's not limited to one group. We're having, uh, we're having 80-year-olds that are dying of overdoses of fentanyls. And sometimes we believe that they're obtaining medication illegally, buying it from other people and they because they can't afford it. They can't afford what they should be taking. And so they're buying it from the black market that, that isn't real. Sure. And they're overdosing on fentanyl. Wow, I'm glad you brought that to our attention. We'll try to spread the word along with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so scary, especially having a high schooler. It makes me gives me chills and makes me want to keep her in her room and never let her out ever again. There, as as a parent, that's not the solution, though. I know, but there's nothing wrong with that. Trust me. Yeah. So scary. So, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Sheriff Bianco, for coming. We are so excited to have you on the election. I don't know when the upcoming election is, but I'm happy to have you as our sheriff, and I look forward to having you continue to be our sheriff. As always, nothing in this podcast is to be considered legal advice. We hope you enjoy it, and uh, if you have legal questions, certainly reach out to your attorneys, but this should be for entertainment purposes only, and we are not establishing an attorney-client relationship. If you would 
would like to find more information about myself or my dad, Pat King, you're welcome to reach us on our websites. My website is www.thelawyerking.com. He is at www.kingandrusolaw.com. But an easier way is to like us on our socials. Uh, The podcast is The Lawyer Kings. That's plural. And from there, you can find both of us. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website, www.thelawyerkings.com. And next week, we don't have a topic yet. So tune in and you will be surprised. This podcast is hosted by attorneys Rachel King and Patrick King and edited by Jeff Pack. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast on your favorite podcast apps. Sign up for our newsletter and visit us at our website at thelawyerkings.com. As always, we have legal disclaimers. Nothing in this episode should be considered legal advice and nothing establishes an attorney-client relationship. All the information provided in this podcast is provided for general information purposes only and may not reflect the current law in your jurisdiction. By listening to our episode, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the Lawyer Kings or Rachel King or Patrick King and the podcast publisher. No information contained in the episode should be construed as legal advice from Rachel King or King Law Firm or any of the firms associated with Rachel King or Patrick King or its guests, and none of it is intended to be a substitute for legal counsel or any subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included or accessible through this episode without seeking appropriate legal or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances at issue from a lawyer licensed in the recipient's state, country, or other appropriate legal licensing jurisdiction.